0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is a responsive reading. It's from the 35th chapter of the book of Isaiah, beginning in verse 4. Please read with me. Say to those who have an anxious heart Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come and save you. And the eyes of the blind shall be and, and the ears of the, the deaf unstopped. The then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters will break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found. But the the redeemed redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. The New Testament reading is from the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the 35th verse. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, every week, we're reminded of your blessings as we pray together, as we come together as your priests, not just as prophets taking your word to the world around us, but as priests who bring the world around us to you in prayer. This is the one time a week we get to do that together with each other, a congregation of priests. Our Father, we have prayed for Priscilla Turner for years. These last few months, our prayers have intensified, and we've prayed that you would take her home. We thank you that today her journey is complete. We thank you that she's at home, that she's in glory. We pray that you would bless her family. That you would wipe away their tears. Cause them, Father, to worship in thanksgiving. Cause all of us to worship in thanksgiving. For her life. The blessings that you brought us through her. Our Father, we're reminded with that of the people for whom we pray today and have been praying. We pray for Sheila Noble, Tom Jasper's mom. We pray that you would bring healing to her. Draw her close to yourself. Bless her physically. Bless her spiritually. We pray for Billy Griggs, for Jim Bennington. We pray that you would give them strength of body and strength of soul. We pray for Sidney Wiggins, Father, as she approaches surgery this week. We pray that you would use that surgery to bring healing to her body. I pray that surgery, Father, will accomplish what it's designed to do and that there will be no complications. We pray, our Father, for the families of Christ Presbyterian Church. We pray for each other. We pray that you will heal, bring healing where it's needed in our marriages. Restore husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands. Pray that you'd bring healing where there's been a breach between sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. We pray that you would Restore the hearts of the children to the fathers and mothers. Our Father, we pray for those that are anxious about sickness, about vocation, about monetary issues. Our Father, Cause us to ever be thankful in every situation. For on our worst days, we're bathed in your grace. And Father, we pray that you would bring blessing in our vocations. Bring blessing, Father. Take away the anxiety calls us to rest, not only physically, but to rest our minds, rest our hearts in those magnificent, omnipotent, nail-scarred hands of yours. Now, as we come to your word, we're well aware that John Sartell cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. No man who stands behind this desk can do that. But we've heard your voice in this place in the past. You have spoken in the power of your Holy Spirit. We're not the same people that we were. We've been changed. Oh, Father. We pray that you'd continue to bring change to our hearts by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Grow us individually, grow us as families, spiritually and physically, grow us as a church family, physically and spiritually. We pray that when we leave here in a few minutes, we will know that we have heard your voice in our hearts. Change us, Father, change us. Maybe some of us for the first time. In Jesus' name. For for his glory. Amen. Amen. A blind man who could see. What happened that day? We read it this morning with Blake. What happened as Jesus entered the gates of Jericho? It's simple. Jesus made a blind man see. Suddenly, he spoke by fiat. And a man who had been blind could see. Have you ever seen that happen? I haven't. So maybe we're a group of Christians who read Scripture with such nonchalance that we've lost its drama, its beauty, its reality. A blind man was made to see? But in reality, there's far more here than a blind man receiving his sight. This encounter is full of paradox. Let me ask you a question. When, If you grew up in Sunday school, if you grew up on Bible stories, who did you want to be like in those Bible stories? You wanted to be David, not Goliath. You wanted to be like the powerful Elijah, most powerful prophet of the Old Testament. You wanted to be like General Joshua, the conqueror. You wanted to be like the stalwart Daniel who stood alone in a foreign culture. In my first pastorate, God sent me a, a wonderful young man. He was just a bit younger than I was then. He's now a, a minister. I gave him a, a t-shirt. His name was John Q. Hall, the Reverend John Q. Hall. I gave him a t-shirt and on the back I had printed... Ittai the Gittite. I gave his wife a t-shirt that said Ittai's wife. Why? Because Ittai the Gittite is one of my heroes in Scripture. It's only mentioned really once or twice. Ittai was a Philistine who proved to be one of David's most loyal soldiers. He was chief. Think about this. He was chief. The Philistine was chief of David's personal bodyguard. I'd like to be like tied the Gittite. But I can't remember anyone ever saying to me, I want to be the blind beggar at Jericho. Did you? That would be illogical, wouldn't it? A paradox is a statement that Seems contradictory to logic. It's illogical, but it's a fact. It's true. I want us to spend the next few minutes looking at the paradoxes we see in this encounter. It may be that you'll be led to say something that we will be led to say something as paradoxical as I want to be like the blind beggar. Jericho." First, I want you to see in this passage, a blind man. Who could see? That's the first paradox. As he drew near to Jericho, this is verse 35, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's sitting, he can't see. There's a huge commotion. A large crowd. What's happening? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now there was no one in Israel at this time that didn't know who Jesus was. He was more famous than any man in Israel in that day. They told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. They identified Jesus geographically. This is Jesus from Nazareth. He's passing by, blind man. But the blind man identified Jesus theologically. He did not cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He cried out, Jesus, son of David. This was a statement of faith. Think with me for just a moment. You know that... The Jews all over Israel were looking for a Messiah. The Old Testament prophet said over and over again that there was, a Messiah was coming, a king was coming, and he would be the king of all kings. How will we know who this king is? He will be of the house and lineage of who? David. Look at Isaiah 11.1. 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? That's David's father. Poetic way of saying he will be of the lineage of David. Look at Isaiah 1110. In that day, the root of Jesse, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire. You will know, the Messiah is going to come from the the lineage of David. You know, the passage from Isaiah 9, 7 of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end on the throne of David. That blind man knew this. The rumor had been the Messiah's come. But why did the blind man know it? You see, he had a vested interest. This man really knew. I mean, he he called him. He he was. he, He might as well said, Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, son of David. Why did he do that? Because another characteristic of this Messiah was not only that he would be of the house and lineage of David but he would make blind to see. We read it this morning. Thank you, Bill, for calling attention to it. Look at Isaiah 35. Look in your bulletin. It's also on your scripture sheet, but look in your bulletin. Isaiah 35, if you would have asked someone a hundred years after Isaiah, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Christ. If a hundred years later, you would have asked anyone Who's this? Who's Isaiah talking about in Isaiah 35? They would say the Messiah, the coming king, the one who's coming. That's the subject here. Look at it. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. All through the Old Testament, not just in one place, over and over again says the Messiah will open the eyes of the blind. John the Baptist in Luke 7 sends Jesus a message. Here's here's the ambassador to Jesus, the greatest prophet, greater than Elijah, the greatest prophet Israel ever saw up until Jesus. And he's in jail. He's the ambassador to the Messiah. Think about it. It doesn't fit. It's illogical. Why would the the Messiah, the king of kings, let his ambassador be put in jail by some petty, insane king? Governor. And so John the Baptist sends Jesus a message. He said, go ask Jesus what's happening. Why am I in jail? Is he really the one? You know what Jesus, Jesus didn't. Rebuke him. Jesus didn't say, you go tell John the Baptist to go drink from the sea. If He has no more faith in that. He didn't say that to him. What did he say? You go tell John. Go back and report to John. It's in Luke 7, 22. What you have seen and heard. What was the first words he said? Tell him the blind receive their sight. That answered the question. Yes, John, I'm the Messiah. Who do you know that's made the blind to see by fiat, the deaf to hear by fiat? Just like the Old Testament prophets said. So now with that background, understanding that this blind man understood that. The Messiah will come from the lineage of David and he'll make the blind to see. You're sitting at that gate. You're the blind man in Jericho. Jesus is the passing by. Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was blind, but he could see more than many of the folks in that crowd. He could see better than the Pharisees. They had watched Jesus make the blind to see and the deaf to hear. They had seen him raise the dead. But they couldn't see. They didn't cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me." He could see better than the Sadducees. Maybe he would not have seen so much unless he had been blind. You think about this. It's a paradox. Maybe it was his blindness that gave him such sight. Helen Keller said, far better to be blind and see than to be able to see and be blind. The Bible teaches, folks, this is all through the New Testament, all through the gospel. The Bible teaches that the soul, apart from physical sight, can see and know Christ. We don't see and know him because we have physical sight. The Holy Spirit gives the heart and soul sight. Think about it. The Pharisees and many others physically saw these great works of Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. They did could not see it. Jesus said this in John chapter nine, and you might want to circle it and go back and think about it later today. John 9, 39. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Jesus was saying, You Pharisees, you can't see. You're blind. You can't see yourselves as sinners. You can't see who I really am. You think you're righteous, you don't think you need a Messiah Savior. If you could see, if you understood, if you could see, you could see your sin. You could see me. You could see the cross. They didn't want to be like the blind man. They said, we can see. The irony is that when we come to Christ, we've got to come saying, I'm blind. I don't see What do we pray in here every Sunday morning? Oh, Father, give us eyes to see him. Give us eyes to hear. Give us hearts that know. You want to see Jesus? Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never seen yourself as a sinner. You've never felt the need to kneel at the cross. It's not because you don't need to. It's because you're blind. You might actually, if I were to ask you, what would you tell God if you died this afternoon? What would you tell him? You stood before him. And God asked you, why why should I let you into my heaven? Oh, just look at my life. Just look at all my good works. Just look at everything. This man... I'm blind and I want to see a blind man who could see. Secondly, you see a man without opportunity who sees an opportunity As he draw, as he drew near to Jericho. A blind man was sitting at the roadside begging. If you were blind in the first century and your family didn't have money, you were consigned to the life of being a beggar. This man... Made his way to the gate of Jericho every day. That was his life. And he begged all day long. Alms for the blind. Alms for the blind. Alms for the blind. This this man had no other future. He had no hope beyond begging. He was without opportunity. But suddenly, there was an opportunity. An opportunity no one could have imagined one of the verses that we use here a lot in our worship and our call to worship is from Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. In other words, seize the opportunity as the Lord draws near. That blind beggar. You know, this is a huge crowd. He didn't have time for me. This blind beggar. Jesus is passing by. Maybe he's only 10 yards away. He's blind, and the man that makes blind people see is passing by. Do you really think he would say? Well, every he's busy, everybody, you know, I'll catch him on the way out of the city, maybe. What would you have done? You're sitting there begging. The one man that can make you see is walking by, ten yards away, fifteen yards away. Jesus was near. Jesus, son of David. He screamed his head off so hard that the people said, be quiet. There were a bunch of Presbyterians. (laughs) Be quiet. He doesn't have time. And It was only after he yelled several times that Jesus just stopped and said, bring him here. In the days before modern harbors, a ship had to wait to the flood tide to be carried into the port, into the harbor. The term for that situation in Latin was ob portu, off port, off port, ob off port. We, res- we get the word opportunity from that Latin phrase, opportune. The picture is the captain and his crew would be waiting on the ship for the flood tide to come. And if they didn't ride it into the harbor, they had to wait for the next tide. Shakespeare turned this background and used it in Julius Caesar. In a now famous quote, There's a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. But omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and miseries. On such a full sea, we're now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. Blind folks, do not miss the opportunity when a man is passing by who can make them see in an instant. Call upon the Lord while he is near. A blind man who could see, a man without opportunity who sees an opportunity. Thirdly, we see here an underprivileged man who did not ask for entitlement. He called out, Jesus, son of David, what did he call out? Have mercy on me. He didn't say, tell Jesus I'm deserving. I'm blind. I've been poor all my life. We have created a philosophy of, of entitlement in our culture. People think that because they are poor or needy, society owes it to them. And we also carry this over to God. God owes us. We can never sit, we can never kneel at Calvary and say, you owed me that. This man came begging of Jesus, not demanding. Not because he's entitled. He may have been blind, may have been needy, but he didn't cry out, You owe me. It's mercy, folks. It was mercy. We don't want to be beggars. We want to deserve it somehow. And be deserving. This man did not deserve to be healed. Do you understand that? He could not look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you owe me. How often we do that, don't we? You owe me. Don't ever go to God. If you're without Christ, don't ever go to him and say, give me what I'm due. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. I'm not entitled. Isn't that something? A beggar. Blind. A life that we would not want to live. A blind man who could see. blind man without opportunity who sees an opportunity. An under- underprivileged man who did not seek entitlement. Fourthly and finally. A beggar who received more than he asked. Look at verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, gave praise to God. Usually that beggar, got less than what he asked for. If he asked for a dollar, the beggy would give him 50 cents. The beggar usually gets less than he asked for. This man asked for his sight and he got much more. This afternoon, read Mark's account. The Gospel of Mark. Read Mark's account of this encounter. Mark tells us that this man's name was Bartimaeus. He was the son of Timaeus. Mark tells us that the crowd came to him and said, cheer up. Jesus is calling for you. He tells us that the man was so excited, he threw away his cloak. Probably the only cloak he owned. How did Mark know all this? Because Bartimaeus became a follower of Christ. Mark knew him. He had heard Bartimaeus tell the story. That's why he knew. He knew him. He knew his father. He knew he threw his cloak. He probably told Mark about what time of day he got there that day. About what time of day Jesus came by. Can't you hear just Bartimaeus giving his testimony in those early Christian gatherings? And He would always end by saying, I was a beggar. I begged. And for once in my life, I got more than what I asked. I asked for sight. And I got Jesus. I got my sight. But I got Jesus. When you go home, if you ever have the opportunity to see Bartimaeus, He will tell you that the most important thing that happened that day was not that he received his sight. He will tell you that day. I met Jesus, the son of David. I met Jesus, the son of David. Our hymn is most appropriate. Be thou my vision.